Welcome to the Rehab Lab. This podcast is powered by Elevation Medical with the Pfizer Wave 2. And I'm your host, Joe Lemon. And so today, I'm pleased to have a, a returning guest, Dr. Julia Thomason. Always enjoy talking to her. And so she's a board-certified specialist in sports medicine and rehab and has really just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to musculoskeletal wellness. And Dr. Thomason also was the former president of the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine. And back in 2007, she founded the American Association of Rehabilitation for Veterinarians, AARV. And really understand the workings of what it takes to run an efficient veterinary rehab practice. It's much different than than having your um, traditional vet medicine where they do a lot of surgeries. They're looking for non-invasive ways to go about finding solutions, right? And this is always interesting to me because, for one, the margins normally aren't as um, aren't as stacked as whenever you're doing surgeries. It's very similar to what happens on the whole human side of healthcare. How do you help people get high-quality outcomes and do this in a way that is still streamlined? And this is what the VROM group really specializes in. So we talk about what it takes to actually, you know, develop your employees along the way. Uh, what type of growth and funding issues that they might have been bumping up against during these during these crazy times. Now, with that being said, I think it's been a great time because more there's a shift in demand from what I'm hearing, at least anyway. And what Dr. Julia talks about is the shift in people are looking for these options. And so they're becoming more of these advocates for a lot of these patients. So I think you'll be able to kind of tease that out and get into the operations, get into the advantages of having that economy of scale when it comes to buying as well as just learning right just having more brains put together looking for the right procedures the right products and just sharing the best practices when it comes to running your actual clinic and so hopefully you enjoy this conversation as much as i enjoyed recording it and if you do please go over to spotify apple or wherever you listen to podcasts at leave it a rating give it a five stars if you really enjoy it drop a comment let us know how we're doing with the show and with that being said let's get into today's conversation with dr julia thomason i'm super excited to have a returning guest dr julia thomason back on the podcast first folks, we talked a lot about this whole vet rehab world and where it's going and the different things that are evolving in the space and i kind of want to pick back up there because, you know, it was some time ago and maybe too much hasn't changed or maybe a lot has changed. Like, I'm kind of curious to kind of start with that state of the union again of kind of where this space is. Are you finding more clinics, more interested in maybe working with you guys or, or something that maybe is still over that nice, slow growth, how a lot of things evolve? Yeah, we've had quite a few more people reaching out to the to the VROM group with interest, and we're excited also to be expanding our existing practices, hoping for or planning for some second locations with them, which would be really exciting. And there's a new clinic that we're founding coming on as well. So there's a lot happening on the sort of admin chatting about business side of things. And I've been very excited to talk to some veterinarians who are already leading their practice, but who are kind of interested in, in joining us. So things are picking back up. I think people were a little hesitant during the whole, you know, surviving the, the worst years of the pandemic, just yeah. kind of keeping the doors open. I guess they were closed, but you know what I mean? <laughs> keeping their doors <laughs> keeping us roof over our head, et cetera, keeping those animals cared for. So, um, yeah, I think people are coming up for breathing space a little bit and thinking about things, which is exciting from the point of view of our group. And we've also been behind the scenes working on a lot of 
not we're not talking sort of the, from the medical side of things because you have a lot of freedom on the medical side in the group but we're actually talking more about employee best practices mm-hmm. and the strength in numbers thing so the benefits that i offer in my clinic now we're hoping to bring to some of the other clinics and also thinking about that sort of group purchasing power for some of those benefits for the team members so that's really exciting too and we've done some fun, crazy team building things as well. We went to one of my doctors. We were supposed to go and do this um, axe throwing, which we were very excited about. But yes. something something fell through and we ended up in one of my doctor's houses in the pool. So that was great. <laughs> so we did a few team building exercises on uh, personality and on kind of working together and then just sat in the pool and had some uh, healthy beverages. So that was fun. I love that. You, you, I mean, I mean, honestly, it sounds very 2022 ish, right? You know, like yes. you have these plans of what you want to do, and then you're like, and then you know what? let's just stay home, <laughs> let's just come over to my place, and, and and we'll have fun here. And, and right. And, and so, honestly, I think this is a really good place because I love talking shop about about what's happening from the private practice business side as well. I mean, and we look at this whole strength in numbers, like so. Just for the audience to kind of better understand, and myself, like what's some of the things that you guys are seeing? Uh, is it is it more like you guys are trying to collaborate on more research together? Is it more uh, buying different products together? Like, how do you guys kind of leverage some of that strength in numbers? Yeah, some of that is is buying products and also relationships with um, some product makers that we say, okay, you know, we're interested in this product and we're interested in you showing us how it works and what the research is behind it because we're very driven by the evidence base in the clinics but also talking about the fact that you know not only are you talking to a customer that's single veterinary clinic you're actually talking to a customer who has a connection with several veterinary clinics and even though we're in different states we would be interested in buying you know so some of those products so we certainly talk about that we certainly have our favorites at each clinic but we have discussed you know pros and cons in the research and and brought some new ideas into some of the some of the clinics too which is exciting just to sort of and it's optional nobody has to do everything that everybody else is doing but certainly that bulk purchasing power it is exciting to sort of maybe help us get better prices for things and help us also bring things um to customer bases that maybe didn't have that access before because just the ease of stocking amount of inventory you know this this controversial sort of discussion about how much inventory do you have on site because it's it's paying for something that might not move and and things like that and and i made my you know i've got several assistive harnesses from 2008 that weren't ideal (laughs) sitting in the back (laughs) of my my clinic that you know can't give them away but you know there's very few mistakes like that we made because we started low inventory and just sort of being able to advise the younger practices yeah you, you know keep a little bit low inventory but these are the ones that we have found have been super helpful in the rehab field and you know moving forwards we'd like to stock hundred percent. I mean, I mean, I mean, personally, I see a tremendous amount of value in like just the actual scale, just from a, a raw data standpoint, even if you want to implement different things, but just having that insight from clinics that obviously have experience, they've been doing it for a long time, they can at least see what things are resonating with with certain populations, right? And I mean, mm-hmm. I think that insight alone is is, is, is really special. And um, when we think about the personnel standpoint, like when it comes into building out uh, a rehab clinic, like what what some of the trainings or maybe some of the personnel that you would like to see 
implemented or maybe that you guys are implementing, I should say, in your actual clinics now. Is there some professional training that maybe you guys are kind of encouraging a lot of your clinics to really bring on? And yeah. And, and obviously we know there's there the rehab certification courses that we help team members through. But uh, um, usually the biggest thing is sort of talking about onboarding someone like onboarding a new doctor, onboarding a new tech and kind of how that training's going and sort of what's your expectation of when they'll be up to a certain speed to do certain therapies or when they will be up to certain speed to see their own patients. And so we kind of talked about the timeline and how I am on board associates versus, you know, my residents are a little bit different. But also, you know, several other practices are bringing on new doctors as well. And so we said, what is the ideal number of new examinations a day? How do we run this with enough time to fit in the rechecks that those examinations are going to create? And so when we're forecasting, we've got all of this strength across the practices hmm. that says, okay, on average, this type of case, and nobody's a cookie cutter, right? Nobody's a it, nobody's a recipe, right. but on average, this type of case spawns this many rechecks. And so moving out, you've got to leave enough space for rechecks as well as for your initials and then procedures. You know, we're now blocking procedures slots within our schedule because we're we're creating, you know, procedures like joint injections, for example, that are doctor driven procedures. And we're, we're having trouble getting people in. And now we've got those metrics that just help us a little bit predict we need one procedure slot every X days, sort of a thing that really helps us get, because we'll need tech assistance and, and, and assistance during that procedure. We may be a sedation that they need a little extra time. Hmm. All of those things have sort of given us more information of just delving into our own practice metrics, but also chatting to the other practices and talking about how they do it. And so idea sharing is, has been it's great to talk about idea sharing, right? And you go, okay, but I do things my way. But it, it's really good because they're coming up with these super ideas that they've implemented and tried. And so we brought on a new online payment system very recently mm. where people can text to pay, which I mean, it may sound so backwards to people in other companies and other, other fields, but to us, it's we're quite slow in bringing that stuff on. It's expensive for a single practice to bring that stuff on. And so we know now the cost benefit analysis means this is going to be great. We're not spending team time saying, hey, you know, we're going to call you to pay if you're not coming in the building and, and all of those things. And even when people are coming in, sometimes there's you know, they don't pay every visit because they're building up therapy sessions. They prepay. They may have to renew their prepay for the next what we call package in my clinic of treatments. And just getting that ease of communication through this app that helps us. And also this app helps me if I make a phone call to a client on a day like today where I'm I'm working from home doing admin stuff. If I have to call a client quick about something, and we can talk about work-life balance later, but oh, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm thinking as you're talking, like I'm going to hear work life for you. But <laughs> yeah, it, the app lets it look like I'm calling from the clinic, which is oh, superb. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. I mean, I mean all right, all right. So, so there's so much I want to get into, especially I want to I want to get into this work-life balance because you know on the uh, human side of the business, it's, it's big into burnout, right? There's a big burnout. Right conversation happening from a lot of healthcare providers, especially with COVID and everything that that's presented. So, you know, before we do that, though, I'm curious, do you, do you mind sharing who the actual software is that, that you guys, you don't have to if you don't feel comfortable? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't know about sort of advertising and what we could do. It's Weave, hmm. W-E-A-V-E. And it's working out just, it's, it's, 
it's pretty exciting. It's got some new features and it was tried at first in one of our other practices. So we didn't have to, we didn't have to be the guinea pig, somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that's the whole benefit of having the actual numbers, right? Because somebody can, mm-hmm. somebody can kind of take a, a little bit of a risk and kind of get out there up front and see if it makes sense for everybody else to look at. Um, all right. So yeah, the whole work-life balance piece of the business. And I'm, I'm curious now, like, because, you know, you guys have numbers, you can kind of see how that, you know, different product, different services that you might want to bring on might free up some time. And even with your scheduling and the management, I found that kind of fascinating. Has it, has it helped out with the overall like clinical experience? Like are people feeling like, okay, I know somebody has this covered or is it centralized? Maybe someone's taking the phone calls in one place. Um, because I, I meet a lot of people because uh, a lot of people that buy our products, they're kind of either solo entrepreneurs or there's, it's a family-based right. business and it's, you know, it's a husband wife team. So yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to kind of see how that how that's helping helping you it is it's really helping Uh, um but it's sort of been slow on the implementation and we've had some bumps in the road just from from team members being out sick and some other things it's just been more people are very rightly being more cautious at stay and staying out of work when they're sick and that is this again sounds like a crazy statement like of course you stay out of work when you're sick but it's one of those things that we're all these passionate dedicated people and we think about the team has to work harder when someone's out and it's very much a pressure even though it's not stated to sort of turn up for work if you're not feeling great and power through it and so i think one of the good things to come out of this pandemic is that people will be more sensible about staying home when they're sick and that they will then get the rest and recuperation they need to come back to the job feeling like they can approach their day and and that's we've we've pushed really hard to encourage that um, we're also pushing hard to adapt um, things at work if people need adaptations. And again, these are all things you should, of course, do for anything like the ADA. But what I mean is just not you're not an ADA sort of candidate. It's more about just minor things. Like for me, my with my minor eye issue, we've got a lot of things that help me look at screens more comfortably. All of these things that we're trying to help reduce people's peripheral stress aside from the actual job. And then, you know, I'm not claiming I have all the answers to managing team stress. My team still shows significant stress when we have employee satisfaction surveys, which we have now, which are great thing the group's implemented. It's anonymous and they can say sort of where they're at and what they're feeling. I think one of the big stresses was this barrier of communication between clients and team members when we weren't letting people in the building and now people are coming in but they're not in for all treatments we're just managing the physical numbers of people in the building still given the fact that we've got these variants and things are happening but we are letting people in and they're coming they've been coming since gosh i think almost maybe almost a year now, um, coming in, I, I'm sorry, no track of time whatsoever. It probably is not that, no idea. Um, but we've been letting them in um, and been really, that's dropped the pressure a lot. The face-to-face communication, especially with my front desk team, people have been accidentally very rude. Mm. And I say accidentally because we know everybody's stress level is far above their head in height, right? And so some of this is they're frustrated because their kid had to stay home from from 
preschool or, or daycare again and they've had to twist something with their own job and then they're getting on the phone trying to fit their dog in for therapy and we get the brunt of that because it's the end of the day or whatever and and my front desk team do a remarkable job of keeping a cool head through all of that but now we've got people doing a lot of stuff face to face. It's just dropped the temperature. It's made everybody feel a little bit more welcome. The only thing I would say is all of us doctors are a little bit running late, which we don't normally do. We're very good on timing in my clinic because people want to chat. Oh. And that's great. So, so it's great because it's like, they want to chat and you know veterinarians are one of the the groups that people will talk to about other problems and so sometimes we are um people who can signal that something's going on that's bad as well in someone's life but sometimes we're their only support system and if they have a disabled pet there's this massive stress on their life mm -hmm. i've just read 10 hours of 10 hours to 13 hours a week extra caring for a disabled pet wow versus, yeah wow. versus an ambulatory continent pet well, and, and man, you know, there, there was there was a lot of great uh, insights there because um, I heard this one this one quote, and while you were while you were talking, I just, I just kind of popped it to the front of my mind, where it's like your environment is the it's that it's that invisible hand that really shapes how you behave, right? And and I think for so many for so many years, I, I do it, and I'm horrible at it, and you know, I try to be more mindful of it now, and it's still a struggle. But you know, I love to get out and go. Even when you're like, oh, I don't feel that great, but you know, power through because that's the that's the American way, right? That's what we do here, <laughs> you know. And, and and now COVID has exposed um, a lot of how maybe this was just overworking a lot of people. And you know, uh, I've dealt with burnout several times just by pushing through, and you don't see it happening until you're like, I, I'm not motivated anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm out, and 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 that's something that. I'm noticing people uh, address earlier, which I think is going to be more beneficial uh, down the line, and hopefully will help create better work environments for everyone. And um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think what you guys are doing is great. Managing at least observing what's happening is, is the very start, right? And and then you know trying to work through how that can uh, kind of balance out will take time, of course. But I mean that's where everybody has to start, I believe. So I think that's great. And every team member is different. You know, yeah. veterinary medicine attracts a lot of introverts. It, it's, it was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think we talked about this last time. I'll find yeah. one of my team members folding towels in the laundry and I'm like, I know to leave her alone. She needs to, <laughs> she needs to press. Don't, don't ask her a question right now. You know, uh, but it was interesting. We did this 16 personalities test and, and we've got, we're like, we've got some interesting dynamics because we have four of us who are, um, extroverts mm. and that the same for all of four parameters of the 16 personalities and then four of us who are the introverted version of that that same four and then <laughs> and, I was like, what? and then we've got some people who have great attention to detail and are not like that at all you know and, and so it's really interesting to sort of look at you talk about general veterinary medicine and it's usually the quiet introvert who relates better to animals I say sarcastically than to people, but there is a little bit of that, right? Sure. And then you've got the rehab team and maybe that whole dynamic is totally different because mm. you, you have to spend a lot of time and get a really strong relationship with the people as well as with the dog. Mm. And not saying that regular veterinary medicine doesn't do that. It's just, we see them so often. Yes. And so it's very, very interesting to think about that from the personalities of the team members and helping them with stress management. And 
we know each other very well. A lot of us, you know, we have great retention, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. So we've known each other a really long time and kind of like a family in in some ways. But also this eye opening again to run through these things and say, okay, I know. I have to say I'm thinking out loud. Mm. And that or I'm floating a trial balloon because I have this habit of, you know, let's just try this and see if it works. And other personalities are kind of like my spirit all day. <laughs> You're speaking my language. I'm like, I'm just going to talk this out. Yeah. And some that could stress some people out though, right? You're like, talk right? it out. Exactly. Like, no, we need to have a formalized plan. I'm like, I'm going to make the plan up as I'm talking. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, and no. I do that with clients too a little bit. So it's been eye-opening <laughs> to do some of this stuff to try and help them again as all relate to each other to reduce the work stress, you know? I think it's great. No, no, I think it's going to be very beneficial down the line. And again, I think everybody's learning and everybody's trying to figure out how to kind of navigate in this new space that we're in. And, and, you know, when we kind of think about, okay, you guys are spending more time together, understanding how to better, you know, share education. You guys are buying things as a group. Um, I'm curious about the any research that maybe you might be coming across as well, because, uh, that's a big piece of it as well, you know, too, is that, you know, there's so much stuff that's coming out. Everyone's busy. You have your home life, you have work life. And then it's like, when do you squeeze these moments and define what, what's going on? Right. You know, I mean, I, th- I think it's a big challenge for a lot of healthcare providers across the board. So are you, have you seen anything that might, that might help out the audience or maybe things that they should be looking for? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to sort of, we, we meet once a month to kind of chat about cases and then bring in research that's relevant to that. But Mm -hmm. like I said, I think it's just taking the time to read and and that's really hard to make that space within a clinic time. And I'm the sort of nerd who will quite happily sit outside in my backyard with a book on a weekend, but, but not everybody's like that. And so when we brought on a new product recently, we had the doctor's write a nice synopsis of that as how it worked mostly for clients but also so everybody could understand how it was working and how it was different to other supplements and what we were going to be using it for specifically Mm. and what my rationale was behind that with the other doctors and so so those things yeah when we have a rep come in and talk we filter through the research we assign one of the doctors to be the contact to look at the actual research. And it's great, obviously, in my case, for my, to assign my residents for that. So then they're putting that critical eye on that research that the manufacturer is producing and seeing how how scientific and rigorous the process is. And then we kind of talk about it. It doesn't mean we don't try stuff that doesn't have scientific rigorous evidence in our particular species. It just means we are trying to distill it down to so all the team members get that info, but they don't have to read the book, as it were. And so I think it's certainly dividing those tasks between team members. And we had um, one of our techs go to a meeting on some CBD stuff, and she distilled it down, and they share it at a meeting mm-hmm. to everybody else. And, and certainly my my uh, my residents are popping up to Alaska soon, popping up to Alaska, <laughs> to do um, a, a part of a rehab course which is kind of sports um related exercise physiology which i'm very excited about like they have to come back and do a presentation for the rest of us to say what it was they did and enjoyed and what what the sort of take-home messages are from that no no, man all right so i'm I'm really digging this because 
you know, I think that getting the getting the actual cliff notes on, you know, what's happening out there. And then that at least starts the process to see if it makes sense for you guys to do a deeper dive and really get the education. But you know, like you said, sometimes people don't have the time to, to you know, spend their weekends kind of cracking open a brand new book and, and diving into it. But I think it's so important for practices to all speak the same language about it and have a, the same understanding to the public. You know, maybe somebody's the expert inside the clinic and if somebody wants to really get in the weeds, they can have that point person. But to just top of, you know, just top line conversations as, you know, uh, as different um, um, patients come in, they have questions about, okay, what's this therapy? What's the supplement? How, you know, just being able to kind of have that, you know, um, same verbiage, I think is really important just to help the patients understand. Yeah, and we've had some nice feedback from clients that have said, you know, you guys only recommend stuff that you really explain why you're using it. And we mm. really appreciate that. So that, that, that's good. I, I wish, I really wish it was practical to go, okay, you get one day a month of reading time, you know, <laughs> paid. I just, I wish. It's just some of those things, maybe maybe as we move forwards, we'll, we'll be able to, to, to have more, more learnings like that. But we do... We're trying to re-up sort of things went a bit sideways again in 2020. And um, we're trying to re-up the sort of whole team education stuff again, whether it's in clinic or having somebody come in. I we had someone talk about just a reminder about dog behavior. Hmm. Because as much as you learn about it, you default to your human making eye contact, standing up quickly, leaning over the dog, all of those mm. things that the dog's like, whoa, I don't know what you're doing. It's weird. Or you're being, a, you're being a too assertive or, you know, you're challenging me. Mm -hmm. and, and just to have a refresher for the whole team and have someone come in who is a trainer who had lots of good pictures and body posture pictures. It's just a great refresher and I'm trying really hard to get more of that back in the team's life as well. No, no, I think that I think that's amazing. I, I love everything about that. And it's it's uh I think this this whole pandemic has caused a lot of people to get back to the basics, right? And right. and you're looking at things that you're like, okay, we can do some simple things now that I think will be very impactful. Um and when we think about, okay, you guys are growing, it sounds like so you guys are you know, having new people reach out, it sounds like, and maybe having some new clinics pop up. So uh, do you mind kind of talk about that? You know, maybe where your new locations might be uh happening or yeah, I mean, I think there's some stuff that's not news yet and some stuff is. So I, this will probably be news to everyone, but I, I don't, we're looking at a second location for me in, in, oh, wow. in Minnesota, which is, which is pretty cool. It'll be a little wow. bit north. Um, and I know in Chicago, they're looking at that possibly too. I know that the team in Florida have just moved to a larger building and are taking on more doctors, which is very exciting. Love it. I know that we've got a new clinic coming in Georgia. So that's very exciting too. And then there's some that are in the pipeline that we kind of can't sort of say of where we're going with that existing practices, but we're moving into the establishment of new practices a lot quicker than we had anticipated just because the state of rehab and a lot of rehab is still, you know, kind of attached to general practice or attached to a specialty, a multidisciplinary specialty. Mm -hmm. And some of these multidisciplinary specialties, they have a different, I'm just going to be honest, they have a different price point. They have a different how much money a square foot they should be making with a certain thing. You know, the need for, for other forms of care is, is, is high to, the, the sort of higher dollar than rehab is. I mean, I'm not saying I don't make a good living and you can do it right and make sure everybody's paid. 
you know, well, but it's just not the same as this high dollar surgery or something like that. So it's more time intensive. It's more of a passion. Uh, and again, wow, I shouldn't say that. People are passionate about surgery too, but you, you know, I just mean it. If you're taking a lot longer with with your clients, and that is is the model for that, you need to charge for your time, but it's not going to be the same return as a surgery suite or something like that, where they can expand quickly and do those things. And so, I think standalone is still really the model to go for. Uh, and I go, I acknowledge my own bias with that. But when we've looked at other places too, it's just inevitably a lot of situations are that the other part of the clinic is somewhat subsidizing the rehab, mm, right? Okay. And so it shouldn't be that way, but the way it's priced or the way it's linked up or who's running it and what the team members are doing and the capacity of the team members to do certain things and certain procedures. Maybe it's just like you're getting a patient with a firm diagnosis from a neurologist and a neurologist only wants you to do A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And, and that situation is, is it can be very frustrating. And sometimes we are the only advocate for a patient who's fallen through the gaps, mm-hmm. uh, the cracks, and, and basically just needs us to advocate for them without sort of the direction of other veterinary specialties as much, you know, as much control over it. So I had a a young German shepherd this last few weeks who um, came to us paralyzed in the rear and chewing his feet, big wounds on his feet from chewing them. Um, A lot of self-inflicted trauma. Owner was a nurse working very hard to care for him, slipped Mm. through the cracks. Just nobody knew what the diagnosis was. And obviously we don't because we couldn't look inside. But we were advocating for this lady that they'd been told by a specialist that there was no chance of the patient walking again. The dog's four. The dog's large. She has the very busy job. This is where this further reading I'd done, which was a really good neurology article about bladder care for for patients Hmm. um was saying this 10 to 13 hours a week plus that you have to put in and she's on her own doesn't have the help and so she's like i'm going to do it i want to do it he's only young but i want to know what it is i want to know what's wrong and the specialist had said that you shouldn't there's no need to image this dog because there was no prognosis of returning walking again and we found pain in this dog we found sensation in the feet which wow. can come and go in some situations. So the neurologist was a little bit at odds with us. Sorry, the specialist was a little bit at odds with us about whether there was sensation or not. And we think because it was waxing and waning and the dog was very relaxed with us. And so I think we were seeing more of this moving away from us. Sure. The other sort of pearl of wisdom from clinics is sometimes a patient who can't kick because they're paralyzed, the only thing they can do is shuffle away from you. And so it may not seem like a major reaction, like they're feeling it because they're not kicking at you or yiping or doing anything, but they're like, I'm just going to get away from you, you know? And so anyway, long story short, or maybe long story long in my case, usually. So we insisted and we kind of got on the phone with the specialist and we're like, we sent them a video of the response the dog had had and sent them back. And we knew this was sucked for this lady because we were in between these two specialties kind of like, I think you probably need an answer. Do you feel like you need an answer? Mm-hmm. Pushed her back, kind of framed it in the neurologist as she wants to know if this dog 
has a, a, a prognosis for life. She wants to decide what she wants to do. She wants to know. And so if when we just said she just wants to know, we managed to navigate to push this person to do and agree to do an MRI on this dog. And this dog had a massive tumor that was eating away uh, the spinal cord and a vertebra and just, oh. yeah, awful, four years old, just tragic. But she knows. And she knows this dog could have been in a car. He couldn't communicate his pain. And, and it's, I get a little bit emotional. He couldn't communicate his pain. Mm. And he was in a lot of pain, but he couldn't communicate it. And it was hard to diagnose it because of this paralysis. And, you know, that's no quality of life at all. I I, I realize I have an emotional attachment a little bit, you know, from, from previous experiences with cancer. But we all have an emotional attachment to our patients and, and just getting her that answer and pushing for that. We were able to do as an independent standalone clinic as a specialty clinic, just like, no, we're pushing you back. Whereas I think sometimes when you're within the facility, mm -hmm. there's a hierarchy still. We, we kind of joked, especially with me having red hair about being the redheaded stepchild of all the specialties, right? That they're not quite respecting that we're actually a field of medicine yet still. And so having that independence to be able to advocate more for our patients is only part of it. Sometimes also financially, it makes sense to be standalone. But but when you're in a multi-specialty clinic, sometimes our soft and caring personalities get a little overridden by other people who may be more strident. And so, again, just a personal experience. Yeah. And, you know, I think using that case was maybe a good example, maybe not. No, no, you know, I think it's a great, I think it's a phenomenal example. I think, honestly, this is eye-opening, at least to me, because, you know, when you think about the dynamics of business and and if one line of business is really generating, let's call it the, the actual line share of the revenue, and then there's another department and they want to advocate, just based off pure bias about how the business is operating, you're going to listen to the one that's kind of generating the most and, and maybe right. guard the other one, right? And and so having a, having a third party to advocate for like, let's kind of spend a little bit more time. Let's slow this process down a little bit. Let's do a little more homework, make that investment of time, energy, effort, whatever that looks. And, you know, to really understand what's going on is, is crucial because I, this is me guessing without knowing, um, is that I think the people, the, the patients want that. The patients would, would, are, are going to be advocating for that time to kind of slow down. I mean, I think it's happening on both the human and the vet side that people are like, wait a minute, okay, before we just rush into surgery, are we just delay this process and we go do something that's super expensive? What conservative options are out there? What non-invasive care options are available? And let's just kind of get some more details before we just kind of, you know, just 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 have this big thing happen, right, in, in our lives. So mm -hmm. no, I think it was I think it was a, a perfect, a perfect example of kind of what's going on in the actual industry. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are realizing that they are somewhat constrained when they're in a multidisciplinary specialty mm -hmm. practice as to who makes the diagnosis, what's happening, where is it going. And we interrelate a lot with other specialties. We're often sending things, you know, backwards and forwards. And, you know, I have a surgeon colleague in the area that he says, you know, kind of jokes and calls me Auntie Julia because he says if I can't work it out I'll send it to Auntie Julia but I send them to him when I'm, I'm like sending this x-ray I'm like I don't know what I'm looking at this is weird looking you know can you help yeah. we've got a very good relationship with them but it's just not as controlled and so that gives us the freedom to look at things a little bit outside the box and we are an outside of the box kind of a discipline the thing that I've, I've spoken to techs who run rehab 
departments with the primary care veterinarian being there, but they are doing the rehab. And they often get into this really frustrating situation where they're trying to advocate for the patient and they don't have the power or even sort of, quite frankly, the full knowledge base to be able to get to that answer for that person and get them what they need. And they're pushing back against these doctors and specialists that are not necessarily listening or fully understanding and aware that we have a good knowledge base and it comes from a different perspective. And so that can be very frustrating for techs not working. So we're very much in our group. We're very much doctor driven. Mm -hmm. The clinic has to be run by a doctor, you know, having that input and, and being able to do everything. And, and, you know, just a segue, you can obviously, um, do we like this bit? But just a segue a little bit. We're doing a lot of general medicine as well at the moment, uh. which is, is somewhat adding stress to ours. And I think it's because, you know, we'll have a patient who pees outside and it's foul smelling and they're wobbly or weaker. And we're like, oh, a UTI. And then we're like, well, take a sample to your vet. Well, I can't get into my vet for two weeks. Uh, so yeah. We're doing a little bit. I mean, vet, the primary care vet, veterinarians are working super hard. There's a lot that aren't taking new patients. You know, they are working really, really hard. I know they are. And and so we've been a bit of a stopgap. We've had pneumonias and bladder infections and spleen ruptures and acute crises and uh, Addisonian crises recently that, you know, it's just... Um, it's a lot. We Luckily, we have a fluid pump because we do intravenous perfusions, which is kind of a slow drip of pain medicine over several hours to kind of get the pain ramp down. And I do it yeah. very rarely, but that's why we have a fluid pump. We have IV, IV fluids for our own, you know, dogs. And also in case when we're doing a, a mild sedation, they need fluids. So we had everything we needed, but we ended up doing emergency care because I, I called three emergency clinics and, and only finally got the dog into one of them once he was stabilized. And wow. so... I used the steroid I normally put in joints to like rescue him, which is a bit random. <laughs> but, you know, it was a very nice emergency clinic, chatted through this years since I did emergency, but um, well, it was are, good. Uh, no, I, th I think that's, that's really interesting. So do you see yourself getting into more of the general medicine piece and doing more of that type of care? Or is that just kind of as needed? As, as needed, up. not deliberately, but again, it's kind of a reason for being doctor driven. And, and over the years, there, there, it's you know, it's probably not once a month, but it's maybe every couple of months. There is a situation where we have to intervene, rather than just something simple like, "Oh, that is infected, and you should take okay. a swab to your vet." You know, like intervene fully, like properly. You've got to go to the emergency clinic now. Um, I'm calling them for you. I recognize this, you know, my texts are on that team as well for recognizing things are off. Dog suddenly starts buckling its front legs in the water. That was this one. And his, his uh, prednisone had been stopped accidentally because they ran out and he was in a true, you know, blood pressure drop, low blood sugar crisis. And, you know, those sorts of things, they are not deliberate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not planning on doing any primary care. Yeah. But there are, or, or there might be a mass in, uh, that, that people think that's in the way of a dog using its triceps in a sport and they can't get in for six weeks to aspirate the mass. So I'll just aspirate the mass and send it off to our lab. You know, that sort of stuff. I, I'm, I'm not trying to pull the bread and butter out of our primary care pocket. That's what I've always been so conscious of. But now I think at the moment they appreciate the help. 
but no, it's not planned. There's going to be no foray into general medicine. Okay, but, okay. But thank I, goodness I, the younger doctors on the team know they remember more than I do about <laughs> balancing, you know, things and and kind of triaging a patient when they come in with a problem. But yeah. no, no, you, you know, I think it's great that you guys are just doing what it takes to help out your actual patients, though, right? That's what it seems like. That's at least that's yeah. the part I hear from. And, and yeah. you know, and we think about, and and we're almost about to wrap up too. But I'm just curious. If you have any advice for people that are newer getting into the space, is it something that you obviously believe in people starting their own standalone practices? Um, maybe some ways that they could you know, optimize that process. I mean, um, do you recommend kind of developing some uh, relationships with other docs or is it something that where you want to have um, a couple of specialty people that you're really working with throughout your neighborhood? Is that a good way to kind of, you know, maybe market and um, advertise your actual practice? Or, wherever you want to kind of take the conversation. I'm just curious, whatever tips or advice you might want to give somebody new coming. Yeah. Into. I think a big thing is, is when you're employing team members, the big things sort of the personality wise are, you know, obviously all the, all the, the hits, like the compassion and the being able to communicate well, but also ability to pivot even without emergencies. Rehab is all about pivoting, thinking outside the box, being creative encouraging creativity in your team so that their ideas help you run your practice better as you start it if you're a, if you're a, a rehab vet and willing to go come and contact us at vromp because we are we're interested in you know long term in backing good veterinarians and getting them what they need to set up a practice but aside from my pitch my biggest tips are yeah pick your team that's communicate of course with specialists in the area communicate with primary care in the area but it's clients who is still so client driven clients are going to look for you you know outreach to 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 dog clubs sporting clubs they're a big foundational start for you even if you're not going to do a bunch of sporting stuff even if you want to do geriatrics those dog clubs are the best way to sort of say Give them a little lecture on rehab. Give them a lecture on the process. Talk a bit about fitness. There's so many people talking about that, but bring your veterinarian voice to that. And you know, look at your look at your demographics in the in the neighborhoods where you're thinking of opening, but also look at the commute. You know, when we're talking about things, we you go, oh gosh, we can't we can't open a second location there because we'd overlap with the clients from our first location. And if you look at that, no, we won't. Because it doesn't matter that the drive is is this distance. What matters is the traffic, right? You know that. So if you're going to be inside the ring road or the circle or outside the ring road, or if you're going east-west, don't go east-west in, 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 in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Nobody goes east-west, right? You know, it's all of that sort of stuff. If you can circumvent the cities or traveling through the city and knowing those things are... And if you've been there for a while, you will have that knowledge of the traffic. But think about that and the times of day that people are coming and that, you know, with location and affordability of location is huge. We can't afford to pay retail style rents in, in our business. You need office warehouse. And it's it's what did the, my uh, advisor when I started, Dr. John Sherman, say it's a destination location. So you have to think <laughs> about that rather than a storefront. So yeah, things like that are my little pearls of wisdom. Well, no, that, I, I think those are phenomenal. And just to kind of 
try to re-summarize some of those. I mean, it seems like you're getting very granular in the beginning. Like start local, start small, understand your population mm -hmm. deeply, not just from a surface level. And okay, it's in a five mile radius and that's where people addresses are listed. But think about the actual transit times and the commute times and what else is in the area. And those local dog clubs, like, yeah, people get so stuck on some of these you know, digital things that can happen, which is great. Like you could do content and Instagram and all that. And that's awesome. But man, there's a community probably in your backyard that has 50 of your patients right. right there, you know? And I, I think that's a phenomenal way to kind of look at uh, rolling out a brand new clinic. So you know what, with that being yeah. said, you have to tell people then, okay, uh, you have a second clinic coming up, uh, coming up. When's it going to be online? Is it, is it, is it already kind of live or is it end of next year? Okay. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Joe. Carry on, Karen. No, 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 no. So, I mean, um, so it's in the process of being built out and everything. I'm assuming, or you guys are just kind of getting getting that rolling. Just starting the planning process. We've identified a doctor, um, and so it's going to be towards the end of next year, maybe fall of next year is what we're looking at. We'd rent rather than building, but obviously building out the inside. Yeah. So we're right now we've got. I've got two underwater treadmills we bought used, which we can refurbish thanks to my brilliant partner, Brian. So um, I've got that um, stuffed in the back of the current clinic. <laughs> <laughs> we've identified our lead tech from our team who will go there. And we've identified one of the doctors and the other one's finishing training. Um, yeah, so we've got that from that point of view, but we obviously have to look at the ROIs of things and what core equipment are we going to start with first and you know i'm defaulting back to how i started but i need people in the group to update me and say no this nowadays this is kind of what you need to start and and where you're at but yeah it's pretty exciting which is why i talked over you sorry no 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 you know what i think it's i think it's super exciting i think that uh we'll have to have you back on as so we can kind of track this whole progress as things get closer to the grand opening um as always this is always fun talking talking shop i mean there's so much going on in this space and i love the the nuanced conversations about the challenges and working with team members and helping them overcome some of the you know just everyday things that everybody's dealing with and i, I think as challenging as these past couple of years have been and on this industry in different ways um i think a lot of greats come out of it too so i'm looking forward to you know following up in the future absolutely absolutely it's been a pleasure dr julia as always i look forward to doing this again this is great and so um um v romp um i will have your information in natural show notes any best way that you want people to kind of reach you or just maybe get some more information about the um yeah they can go to the v romp website so yeah it's vet from v-e-t-r-o-m-p for the range of motion dot com love it love it Boom. Yeah. That is it. I will put everything in the show notes for everyone. Thanks again, Dr. Julia. Thanks.